0: Matty Curtis, how are you?
1: Yes, good. Thanks, Marty. And you?
0: Yeah, good. Last time we chatted, I think it was April, wasn't it?
1: Well, who knows? I who mean, knows? the days, as they they keep saying in COVID nineteen, they're blurring into one another. And yes, possibly. Yes.
0: <laughs> What's happened then? How are your manly going?
1: Uh, Look, Manly's gone for this year. Since we lost Tom Trebojevic, we're not a one-man team, but it's awfully close because we lost our main strike player and we got a lot of injuries, which is not as an excuse even. Des Hasler said today that, you know, that's no excuse and it isn't but we've got very thin troops on the ground. We're not playing well. We've got a couple of really top-line players out. So you just can't hope to do well these days. It's too competitive, and that's not really a slight on us, even though we're not going very well. I don't think we'll even make the eight. It shows you just how professional it is these days, and they say rugby league's a game of inches. Well, I reckon winning a comp or even making the final is, you know, a game, if you like, of margins, and they're really small. You only have to get one or two injuries, one or two bad calls, which we've had this year as well. And it can make the difference of four points in a competition, which might mean making the semis, making the playoffs or not. And we haven't been able to take a trick on any one of those. And it's the old story, a bit like the Bulldogs. They've played some good games this year. When your luck's out in sport, it's right out.
0: Speaking of the Bulldogs, Melbourne are about to score in the corner. So that's going to be 18-0 if they convert it, watching it over there. So there you go. Since we've been talking, they've scored 18 points and the game's only a few minutes old. Amazing.
1: Well, credit to Melbourne because they are, you know, I'm not a Melbourne fan in the sense that I don't follow them at all, but talk about being well-drilled and well-skilled. You know, they've been the benchmark for about 10 years because it doesn't matter who they put on the park. And, yes, they've got good players, They just keep coming up with the goods. And, you know, that's why they perform at that level so consistently. So you've got to
0: take your hat off to them in that way. A bit about the season this year, Matt, other players that don't make the 17, not getting game time. I reckon the team that sort of puts people on the park bench for a while makes a difference. Like resting Cameron Smith, I think, uh, so I reckon the smart ones are going to be the ones that have a bit of depth because as an injury comes through, like you're experiencing with the brothers and things like that, it's a nightmare.
1: Well, I think you're right. And there's a few other elements this year. They keep saying in the year of COVID nineteen, you know, the asterisk year for the premiership, which I don't think it is. I just think it's a whole lot harder for everybody. So whoever does win it, it's going to be awesome. You should be getting a huge tick at the end of it, not an asterisk like, you know, you were lucky to win it, because yeah, there's no reserve grade, there's no other teams for players to be become match fit. Uh, teams are down so much in depth. They're loaning players which has been a good development this year but also in that you're bringing in young kids that just don't have that first grade experience and some kids are doing it well and doing it well for their clubs and other clubs aren't because they just don't have that depth and experience. Because. You know, imagine coming into a game against Marty, Tepow, Marty Kapow, Marty as I like to call him. Like <laughs> you just, you just get smashed into oblivion. Like you know, who who would you think you are? You could be ten foot tall and bulletproof, but you'd probably need to be to even survive a game. So, I think the coaching staff that makes the better decisions off field this year, that's going to be as important, which you're alluding to, as anything that happens on the field. Early on, my take on Parramatta this year was you're the real deal and you are a top four team. I don't think there's really any doubt about that. And I think you'll be there at the end of the season as well. What I'm not seeing from Parramatta is that consistency under pressure yet. It might be there and it might play out in the finals. And if it does, you could make the grand final this year. But my take on it would be a little bit like Penrith. Penrith are right at the top of their game at the moment and leading the comp. But look how many years it's taken to get that roster right, to get their club right and administration, for them to be playing well, for there to be no interference. And all of those combinations of things just coming together perfectly. And I think they've got a real chance of winning this year. It would either be the Panthers or the Roosters for mine at the moment, although there's nothing to say that the Storm or Parramatta can't win it. But out of those four, I think Parramatta would be the longest odds because they have not proved it, you know, over a couple of seasons. And I don't like to use an old cliche or an old adage, but it's true. You almost have to lose a grand final before you win one. And this year, they'll make the top four. They'll be there in the big games. But whether they go on with it, I'm not sure. And if they are to, it's a bit like us with Tom Trebojevic. Uh, if Clint Gutherson keeps playing like he, he, he has all season, I'd rate you a chance. But if he gets injured or, you know, you lose one or two key players, like all the other teams, you, it, there's just no chance of making it. But that, that's true for all the top teams.
0: Yeah, so true. In, in week 12, I listened to the interview with uh, Trent Robinson for the Roosters on the uh, NRL app. And his interview is fantastic. I can't wait to read a book written about him as a coach and Bellamy as well, and maybe even um, Desi as, as well because he had his 400th game last night. But what he talked about was, he said, I don't care if we have a bad game, but I want the bad game to go to a better game. And if we have a, a good game, he'll, he said, I want it to go to um, uh, a great game. And if it's a great game and you play, I want it to go to an excellent game. So his press conference was, was about... Didn't matter where the standard was at the time if they're playing poorly, but every time you've got a lift. So there's always a goal. There's always a benchmark. Masterclass in uh, coaching. His interviews, I applied to actually my teaching, Matty, because I thought of the different levels in relation to bands from my students, band four to band five, five to band six. Doesn't matter where you start. But if you're in band four, you've got to work. Keep working hard to get band five. And it was a great interview last week. What do you think of the different coaches and how they approach? It's a bit of a a coaching merry-go-round at the moment.
1: Yes. Well, I like all of your comments about Trent Robinson because I think he's spot on. And what I like about him the most, he's probably the youngest of the modern range of, you know, top quality coaches. But for me, when I look at him, he's an innovator. I know he's got a good squad. And good players and good heritage, all sorts of things in place to make it work well, but you still have to then be able to coach before and after that, which he which he can obviously do because he's won a couple of premierships but what i why I think he's there, I would call him the Bill Belichick, if that's how you say his name of mm. Australia, because he he innovates, he constantly innovates around his team, so we're not looking this year like we are looking this year at a possible three peat for the roosters and it'll the the majority of that will be done on the back of his innovation to change and tweak enough things to make sure that happens and that's really hard it's hard enough to win one premiership but if he wins three that really puts him in you know just about legend status in this modern age because it's hard enough to win one premiership over 10, 15 years, and he might do three in three, given he's got a good roster. But they've had injuries too. Sometimes they've had five or six players out. Hmm. He will. But for the other coaches, I don't mind bellyache at all because for me, when I watch him... And I love animated coaches. There's, you know, the quiet style of coaching, like the Wayne Bennett's of the world, and even the Trent Robertson's, they they sit back and watch the game and take it all in and, you know, make decisions and then carry on after that. But I like Bellyache because he's in every tackle, he's in every play, and when it doesn't work, he's furious. And I don't mean it's good to be furious because someone makes a mistake, but he doesn't like it, and you shouldn't. If you train all week and this is all you do, you play 80 minutes of football, and that player just drops a ball in the first five minutes of the, the game and they're on half a million dollars a year, I'd, you know, I'd be just like him. I'd be going through the roof and I love that in coaches. I like that passion. Ricky Stewart's a bit like that. Blows a fuse occasionally, but I kind of admire that passion in coaches and I really love it in players.
0: I, I think in, the, in, the, in Newcastle, there's an article in the paper about him as well. Uh, trying to temper his sort of reactions in the coach's box as well, so I think it makes it makes an impact on the team if it's done selectively.
1: No, good point because if you're a, you know if you're fired up all the time, if you're upset all the time, then you can't celebrate the joy when you win or when you deserve to win, and you need to be kind to your players, even if they've lost a game. Sometimes your players actually play above themselves, so therefore you should be able to celebrate that even in a loss. I don't mean you go out and celebrate losing, but you know, you wouldn't be hard on your players. But if I was a modern day coach, some of the games I've seen this year, it sounds really old school and it probably is but for every point you'd lose by, they'd be doing a lap in the cold weather after the crowd's gone. Because when you don't show up, if that's all you do for a living and you just can't show up you know, it'd be out there at, you know, minus nine degrees or nine degrees centigrade and a few laps around the oval just to remember that and then put the effort in next week because that's all these players do.
0: Well, you know about the cold temperatures in Bathurst at the moment. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, well, it'd probably mean more up here than it might in Sydney or if you're in the North you know, Queensland Cowboys, you'd probably enjoy a bit of a lap round after the game to cool down. Well, you are.
0: So, right. yes, well, Billy 8 came.
1: Yes, and he played for Oberon Tigers and, uh, you know, Oberon Tigers were a pretty tough outfit and if anyone's been to Oberon, it's absolutely freezing out there and we used to play against Oberon in the under-18s and I remember in the under-18s they used to have a big fella that played in the under-18s called Bruce Gibbs and he was about 18 stone. He was as mean and as nasty and as tough a prop as you've ever seen on this planet and we're just skinny little high school kids We would seriously pray for weeks before playing Oberon at Oberon in the freezing cold and sometimes snow that Bruce wouldn't be playing because he would smash us to smithereens. We'd go out to Oberon on that day to play a game, and we'd find out, you know, on the day, no, Bruce has been called up to first grade. You know, he's only 16 years old, but he was hurting people at 16. Never mind hurting us, he'd just kill us and run over us like speed humps to score tries. And every time he played first grade, I just thanked the gods. It was you just got to live that week.
0: <laughs> I got you. All right, that's enough of rugby league. Now I don't follow the football very much in England, but my understanding, your team Liverpool, have done pretty well this year.
1: Well, it's taken 30 years, and I wrote a bit of a story on Facebook some time back, not, not so much because it's Liverpool winning. But my point in the whole article was really that whoever you follow, you follow Parramatta, I follow Manly in rugby league or Liverpool in soccer and I've never changed. No one could ever make me change and I don't want to change. Now, when you're winning and you're winning a couple of leagues or titles or championships or, you know, uh, European cups, that's terrific. But when you're down the bottom, what I admire about every fan and every team is... They don't change. They don't go, oh, well, I'm going to follow Manchester United now because they're always winning and my team's always losing. No, you stay with your team, even if it's a winning team, even if it's a middle you know, grade team or even if it's a team that's come up from the lower grades. Well, Liverpool has been trying very hard for 30 years and could have won a couple of championships in that. But what I enjoyed this year, yes, winning was great. The fact that, you know, 30 years later, the joy that it brings... And I think of that for other teams when they win. Of course, I want Liverpool to win every year if we could, but then there'd be really no point to a competition because it'd just be all about you. Like when Leicester City won it a couple of years ago, I was thrilled for Leicester City fans because they might win it for another 115 or 20 years, which is what it took them to win one title. So I actually like it when the winning is spread around and I admire fans who stick with their team no matter what, rather than you know, you've always got to be winning. And I just use one form of logic in this. In every competition, say it's a 20 team competition or like rugby league, you've got 16 teams, every year one team wins. So those other 15 teams or those other 19 teams, they all lose. And even though you might say, well, we came second that year and didn't we do a good job or we got third, um, you didn't really, you didn't win it. But the team that does win it, that's the joy of the whole thing. And it's really hard. So I think every victory is just to be, you know, to be, you know, joyful about, particularly if you have to wait 30 years between drinks, as they say.
0: I don't follow it much, as you know, but my understanding was that they won so many games that they knew they won it well before the end. Is that true?
1: That's correct. And in England, they they can work it out mathematically, like with eight or 10 games to go, that you can't be overtaken, which is kind of good because then it takes the pressure off. And usually the leading teams go on and play well and might lose a game or two, which Liverpool did. I think we lost a game or drew one. We shouldn't have. We didn't get the points, but they still finished the season in really good style. And I think for the players of that year, no matter what club it is, if you get the last five or six games without pressure and you know you're the champions, I mean, what a joy for all your hard work instead of it even being right up to the last minute of the last day of the last game, which can be exciting, but then you don't get to savour that because next year you come back and what happens is everyone lifts their game against the champions and they try and beat you.
0: So the second year is even harder. Well, Maddie, that was really good to catch up with you. What do you reckon we do this again sometime?
1: Sounds great and I'm looking forward to it.
0: All right, then. Well, thanks a lot, Matt, and I'll catch you soon. Okay, mate. Cheers. Cheers, mate.